Thank you for joining with us this morning. Children, you are dismissed to Children's Church down in the cafeteria. Um, Notice some uh, newer young families here today, so this is a time to uh, um, bring your children out. They're glad they can stay in here as well. We love having kids in the service with us. So I'm going to try. My voice is a little gone from that track uh, cross-country meet yesterday, a lot of screaming and celebrating. Um, so I've got some water, and uh, hopefully the voice ho- holds up. But we are looking the last two messages and the next two about contending for the faith that has been entrusted to us. As believers in Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have faith that Jesus is the gospel, that he lived and died and he rose again, that the Holy Spirit now lives in you. But there's also the faith that we've been talking about that's been handed down, the truths of Scripture, the truths of God that have been handed down from generation to generation to generation. And those are entrusted to us as well. And that's what Jude is just pushing this church and these believers in the early church to really contend for their faith that has been entrusted to them. So again, we're in part three. Um, We spent the first two weeks um, first two weeks looking at the first um, uh, seven verses, and we're going to continue to go verse by verse through the book of Jude for this week and for next week. Beloved, contend is the name of this series. So I've learned a new word recently, which is impressive knowing my lack of ability with words. Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. Say it with me. Now, I would have pronounced it Schadenfreude, but I had to go on Google, and I actually, it's Schadenfreude. 100%, Dave. Oh, no, no, I can't say it with the accent. <laughs> but, it's, but, it's, but it's a German word, and it's a compound from Schaden, which means damage or harm, and Freude, which means joy. So literally means harm, joy. Delivering pleasure from someone else's misfortune. Very common on the internet, is it not? Or our Americans' funniest videos. My wife always blames her laughing at people's misfortunes on America's funniest ver- uh, videos. Just grew up watching that. When, when, I gotta move this. I'm sorry. Whenever a father is playing with his young toddler um, on these videos and they're playing baseball, you know what's gonna happen. He pitches the ball, the boy's got the wiffle bat, hits the ball, and where does the ball end up? Whack! Right into the father. He hits the ground, rolling in pain, and we all laugh. Or you get this overweight young man that jumps on a swing above the river. His buddies end up pushing him out over the river, and what happens? The rope breaks, and he goes flailing into the the river, and we all laugh. Or we even experienced this last night. We're coming back from the cross-country meet. Anaya's driving my truck. We're going through Muskegon, kind of the flats there. And we have this orange Camaro go flying past us. Had to be going 90 miles an hour. He wasn't aware about 30 seconds before us, the state police went past us. Going too fast as well, without his lights on. But this Camaro flies past us. By the time we hit Fremont, his lights, Fremont exit, the lights were on and he was pulling this orange car over and we're like yes he de- he deserved that or we probably most of you have seen the viral video of this guy in this massive truck bullying this old lady in her small car 
And she's not getting out of his way. And he's bowling in her, blowing on his horn, trying to get around her. Finally, he gets around her and he tells her how much he loves her with his middle finger as they go past. And as they get past a couple miles up the road, he flips his truck. And we're like, yes, you deserve that. You deserve what happened. We feel a sense of satisfaction when we see those things happen. And that is called, what is it, Dave? Louder so they can all hear Okay, schadenfreude. Yeah, that's how you say it. But that's that. We all like, I practice all week, and I thought I did well. I should just go over to your office. We all, we all have a sense of justice, don't we? We have this innate sense of justice because we're made in the image of God. But sin distorts that justice. We all understand judgment. We don't like the idea of being judged ourselves. But we love the fact that there's a measure of justice in this world and that others get what is coming to them. So in the text this morning, as we go through Jude chapter 8, Jude verses 8 through 16, we see a warning of judgment. I warned you about this last week, that it was coming here. We see the false teachers, the ungodly, kind of knowing what's going to come to them, the judgment that they're going to receive. But let me encourage you, we must not... Engage in schadenfreude. We must not have other people come to our mind. We must not gloat when they get what's coming their way. Because so often and so quickly, we could find ourselves in that position. So stand with me and let's read verses 8 through 16 together of Jude out of the New Living um, Translation. So in the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at supernatural beings. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, The Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. But these people scoff at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them, and so they bring about their own destruction. What sorrow awaits them, for they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money, and like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. When these people eat with you in fellowship meals, commemorating the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving you any rain. They are like trees in autumn that are doubly dead, for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. They are like wild waves of the sea, churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars, doomed forever to the blackest darkness. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done 
and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and complainers, living only to satisfy their desires. They bray loudly about themselves, and they flatter others to get what they want. So, Father, these are your words. These have been handed down. These are through your holy scriptures. May we do justice to them today. May we be able to have insight that can only come from your Holy Spirit. So, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Father, because you are my rock and my redeemer. And I thank you for that. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Please take a seat. So there's a lot in these passages. A lot of kind of tougher concepts. But I've got five kind of phrases that are going to help us move through this text this morning. So the first one is a word we've talked about already. Um, Schadenfreude. Even yesterday at the cross-country meet, the pastor at the Lutheran church, his wife is German. So we were talking about this word. Anyway, schadenfreude, high res, judgment, core issue, and the solution. So the first one, high res. It starts out in verse verse 8. In the same way, these people. So Jude is referring back to the false teachers that he had had been mentioning earlier in this passage, specifically in verse 4. And last week we learned some things about these ungodly, these, these false teachers. Number one, they are ungodly. Number two, they had wormed their way into the church. So it's not people outside of the church that Jews writing about, it's people inside the church. And they had claimed God's marvelous grace allowed them to live immoral lives. Like, we can live any way we want. We can ask for forgiveness, and God will give that to us. He does offer us forgiveness. But they were wrecking the marvelous grace of Jesus with their testimonies. So in today's passage, we get a lot more definition, more details about these ungodly people. So on my brother's farm, where I hunt, we have cameras all over the place. Three of them are Wi-Fi cameras, Maltree Wi-Fi cameras that will send us a picture when a deer walks past or a turkey walks past. And these pictures are not in very good quality very often. Sometimes they're too far away, sometimes they're fuzzies, but we can ask for a high resolution. So we just, we hit the picture, we hit high res, and they will send us, like a couple hours later, this high res picture of the photo. So last Sunday morning, I don't know, early in the morning uh, before church started, I seen that we had a high-res picture. My brother asked for high-res detail. So in the afternoon I checked, and we get a high-res photo of this deer so we can zoom in on it and see if this is a deer that we want to shoot on his farm or not. What Jude is doing here in this passage is describing these false teachers in high res, talking about them in more detail, warning the church about them so they can see who they are, so they understand what's going, what's going on. So in verse 8, in the same way these people, and that's the ungodly people, the ones that worm their way in their church, those that use God's marvelous grace to live immoral lives, in the same way these people who claim to have authority from their dreams. So he says, they're claiming to have authority from the dreams and visions that they have. So God does speak through dreams and visions. And he does lead to that. But they have to be in subject to scripture. If the dreams and visions that they're using do not pass the, pass the test of scripture, they are not from the Lord. They do not have authority. 
And they were using these dreams as complete authority, saying this is what, and justifying how they can live. So Jude is making it clear that these false teachers were using dreams and visions in some way that they should not have been, and they cannot be listened to because of that. In the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives. Jude hits this earlier in his letter, and he hits it again, and we'll see he hits it again because it is a huge deal. Can I have the next slide, please? It's a huge, huge deal. These ungodly people claim to be followers of Jesus, but they're living out any sexual pursuits that they want to. They're living, they're living out any sexual pursuits that they can dream up. If it feels good, do it. They were not following God's holy design for relationships, especially in the sexual part of it. And then also, sorry, I must not have that slide in there. They defy authority, the verse says, if you follow along. They would never say that Jesus is not Lord. We looked at that last week. Their, vo- their voice would not utter those words. But instead, they pra- instead, it was a kind of a, a practical rejection. In practice, they rejected the truth that Jesus was Lord. No one could tell them how to live. My life is my life. I can live how I want to live. But their actions were speaking louder than their words. And then at the end of verse 8, it says they scoff at supernatural beings. We're not given a lot of information here. Bible scholars believe that Jude is referring to evil evil angels here. That these false teachers were kind of thumbing their nose at at the devil and his, his compadres, his workers. So we see as we come to the end of verse 8, a little bit more definition. We're going to see more definition of these false teachers as we move on. But as we go into verse 9, we kind of see a little bit more insight into this whole scoffing at supernatural beings. This is what verse 9 says. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. So here Jude is making a comment about one of the angels, one of the mightiest angels, Michael. Even Michael did not dare scoff or rebuke the devil. He knew his role. The only one with authority to do that was God. So let's just pause a minute and talk about angels just briefly. There's only, as far as I could tell, four named angels in the word of God. One of them is the angel Gabriel. We see Gabriel in four different passages of Scripture. And, and, and each time he comes, he comes with some type of message from God. We, God sent him to Daniel. God sent him to Zechariah. God sent him to Mary. W- w- when he comes, he also demonstrates a ton of power. He comes in flight at times. Another time he made Zechariah a mute. So there's a lot of power with this angel. Another angel mentioned in Scripture by name is Lucifer. We know this as the devil, a.k.a. Satan. The scriptures tell us he is a fallen angel in Isaiah. And he's cut down because he rebelled against God. But before this, we know he's a beautiful cherubim. He's wise. And he was in the Garden of Eden, guarding the Garden of Eden. But then, he's known as a thief, a murderer. 
a father of lies. He's the one that spoke the first lie to Adam and Eve, bringing death to all men. But Scripture tells us his time is short. He's been judged. And upon Jesus' turn, return, he will be thrown into the bottomless pit, into the lake of fire, fire, never ever to come out again. So we know quite a bit about this angel Lucifer and his schemes. Another angel that I wasn't very familiar with at all, is only mentioned one time in Scripture by name, is the angel Abaddon. Or in the same verse, that's his Greek name, his Hebrew name is Apollyon. And it says it in the, in, in the same verse. And he's only mentioned once, but he pe- appears to be a fallen angel that's ruling over the abyss. And he's in control of the abyss, the bottomless pit, where the devil's going to end up. But at the same time, he's also an instrument of judgment used by God during the end times. So his, his, his loyalty, his, his allegiance, we're not quite sure where that lies as we, we study him in scriptures. But then there's the fourth angel. And that's who Jude is referring to here. The archangel Michael. We can be certain that Michael is not looking like John Travolta. How many of you have seen that movie years ago? Very, very few. Okay, a few of you. But he's, he's referred to as the chief prince of angels. One who works to protect God's people. The book of Daniel calls, calls Michael the chief prince of of Israel. Kind of like backhand passing says that Michael's in charge of the nation of Israel and of God's people. The word of God makes it extremely clear that Michael, this fourth angel, has a tremendous amount of authority among other angels. And God gives it to him. So in this passage that we're studying, verse 9, there's this argument between archangel Michael and the devil. Lucifer, the other angel, and about Moses' body when he died. Two angels, one good, one bad. And they're having this argument. And what we know from Scripture is that God had Moses buried in the valley of the Moab, in the land of Moab. We know where the, we, we, we physically know where the valley of Moab is, but we don't know where Moses' tomb is. But during that argument, Michael did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Michael the archangel, the mightiest angel, refused to go beyond his authority. These ungodly people could have cared less. They did and said what they wanted, even scoffing at supernatural beings, which they knew nothing about. The angels knew their role. These ungodly people took it upon themselves to go into a role that they thought that they could take. So then we go on to verse 10. But these people scoff at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instinct tells them. So they bring about their own destruction. So these fall, again, more high def about these ungodly people. They, they, they bring about their own destruction. They, they, they're, they're, they're not thinking things clearly through they're like wild they're like animals just instinctively doing what they want they're not controlled by the spirit of god and we're going to see next week what that looks like and the verse 12 there's more definition jude gives a number of powerful metaphors about these ungodly people 
12a, when these people eat with you in your fellowship meals, commemorating the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. They're selfish. Nothing else matters. Only me, myself, and I. That's the only important things to them. They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. So the farm I grew up in, in Holland, our, our family farm, we'd watch storms brewing over Lake Michigan. And we're like, yes, there's rain coming in August, and we need this rain in July. It would come on land, and we'd get a couple raindrops. And the clouds would keep going. My dad would always say the consumer's power smokestack there kind of split the clouds, and they went around us. But Jude is saying that's what the ungodly, these false teachers are like. They're like waterless clouds. They promise a bunch of things, but they never produce. And then he goes on. They're like wild waves of the sea, churning up their, the foam of their shameful deeds. They threaten everyone and everything. And they're like wandering stars, doomed to forever in the blackest nights. Instead of staying in their proper places, which God has set, they zigzag and they go where they want to go. They do what they want to do and they don't care what the word of God says. Which will lead them to judgment. This passage makes very clear. And verse 16 gives us a little bit more high res of who these people are. They're grumblers, complainers. They only live to satisfy their own desires. They brag loudly about themselves. They flatter others to get what they want. Grumblers, complainers, selfish, braggers, flatterers. So what a picture Jude has painted. For three weeks we've seen him paint pictures of these ungodly people. And they're in the church. And he describes their lives in high resolution. And now he's going to describe what's going to happen to them. Verse 11a. It starts out this way. What sorrow awaits them. This is not going to end well for them. For they follow, and then he gives kind of three examples from the Old Testament. For they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. So what was Cain's response when God came to him and said, Where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Judah's saying these ungodly people were more concerned about themselves than anything else. And their choices are going to have major consequences. They might not have murdered somebody, but it's just as bad. And then Jude gives another example from this passage. Like Balaam, they deceived the people for money. Remember the story of Balaam in the Old Testament? Go home and read it. It's fun. I went back and read it this week. It's interesting. Balaam was a man that professed Deep faith in God. Everything in his life pointed towards that. But he had a greedy heart. At first he prophesied just like God had asked him to do. But then Balaam was offered a bunch of money from King Balak. He said, if you prophesy against these people, I will give you all these resources. And God intervened. And he didn't allow it to happen. But the punishment of Balaam was death. 
and soon he was killed by the Israelites. And then one more example that Jude gives. And like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. So there's a lot of Korahs in the Bible. This specific example is found in Numbers 16. Korah, he verbally attacked Moses and Aaron. God had raised Moses and Aaron up to lead the Israelites. And Korah goes in and he's like attacking them. And he's, he's bad-mouthing them. He, he didn't like these leaders, so he stirred up people inside the Israelite community. And God says, no. And he, Korah was immediately judged for his rebellion by God. So Judah is saying these false teachers are like this. They don't come underneath the authority of God, and they will face judgment. Verse 14 is when he was talking about the stars. Doomed forever in the blackest night. So keep tracking with me as we go through Jude here. Because Jude is going to give us other examples of judgment and why they are being judged. Verse, verse, verse 14a, it starts out this way. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. So it's back in the Old Testament again. He's referring back to the scriptures, referring back to the faith that was entrusted to them. To them. So take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Enoch. No, nobody's going to do it? Anybody go there? You can't. It's not in the word of God, is it? But here's something I learned that's interesting about the book of 1 Enoch. It's not written by Enoch. It was written in the first century, like 1 B.C., 1 B.C., before Jesus' birth. Right after, right before, somewhere around there they're thinking. And Enoch could not have written this book because he was way back at the beginning, seven generations after Adam. 76 generations from Adam to Jesus. And when, when the early church got a letter that they were thinking about putting into the word of God and being directed by it, they would, one of the qualifications they would look at and say, who's this written by? Was it written by the person that it said it was written by? And in this case, it was not. But this book had a lot of meaning and a lot of authority kind of among the early Christian church. And these false teachers were quoting out of that book. Now, it doesn't mean that, there, that there, there's not some good truths in that book. It just was not included in the inspired word of God. So, so Jude is quoting from First Enoch. Enoch lived two generations before the flood. Adam was probably still alive at that time. And watched the wickedness of his generations. And watched the wickedness and how it grew. And he responds this way. Listen how Enoch responds in verse 14. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of the, all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Judgment is coming with a vengeance. It's coming forth. The flood came. It's coming again at the end times. But did you catch something here? This is where I want to spend my time as we wrap up. Why is it coming? 
He will convict every person of all the ungodly things that they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These false teachers, they were abusing their authority. They were scoffing at the supernatural. They were sexually immoral. But do you see the sin beneath the sin? For all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. The core issue with these ungodly sinners, these ungodly people, was idolatry. They practiced idolatry, making something more important than God. Their reputations, their voice, more important than God. And God is like, no. Jews pointing that out. You can't go in that direction. Their real issue in their false teaching and their rebellious behavior is the lie about God that they were telling. Not only in their mouths, but in their lives. Their lives were not living to God's holy standard. So Martin Luther wrote that violating the Ten Commandments, especially commandments number 2 through 10, is first and always and foremost a violation of commandment number 1. What's commandment number 1? You shall have no other gods. Say it with me. You shall have no other gods before me. And that's what the false teachers were doing. When a man cheats on his wife and sleeps with another woman, he is saying that pleasure with my neighbor's wife or the other woman is more important than God and what God says in my life. He has elevated that woman above God and his pleasures above, above God. When a teen steals something from a friend, they're saying, what that person has is more important than what God says about me in my life. Because I want, I want, I want. And that's what these false teachers are doing. They're elevating themselves about God and God's authority and God's word. And Jude's calling them out for that. Our problem is we want power. We want control. We want to feel good. We want to look good, the fear of man. We, we, at any time we raise something above God, it's idolatry. We cannot put things in place of God. Solomon had 300 wives, 700 concubines, more wealth than anybody else. Did it satisfy him? Did it satisfy him? No. He wrote a whole book on how everything was meaningless. Everything was meaningless. We need to understand that when we evaluate things above God, we're saying, I'm God. I, I don't care what the word of God says. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And God's like, no. And Jews calling out these people. That's the horror of these ungodly people and of false teachers. Idolatry is the sin beneath the sin. When we take a good thing and we elevate it above God, we commit idolatry. We're then guilty of doing what these people are doing. We're guilty. Let that sink in. As I read that passage this week, I'm like, God... Please, I do not want to put anything above you. 
There's massive persecution going on around the church, around the world. Look at that banner we have out in there. These places that are hostile to the, go- to the gospel. Places that, that are worse than even hostile. I forget the word that's on there. But you can't even go there. But yet in those places, faith thrives. The church in Africa is growing by leaps and bounds. What's happening to the American church? Is it growing by leaps and bounds? No, because we're putting things above God. There's ungodly people sitting in our pews. And Jude's message is just as real for us today as it was for them 2,000 years ago. What are you putting above God in your life? Maybe you would never say it, but does your life match up? The solution. The solution. As a believer, you understand and you appreciate the goodness of God and the judgment of God. You know sermons are meant to encourage us to expand our gratitudes about the kindness of God in Jesus Christ. We know that we're sinners. We know we're deserving of God's judgment. The idea of God judging us doesn't take us by surprise because we recognize that we deserve it. But what is really surprising and shocking is that God is not only going to judge sinners, but he offers mercy. What did, Jude, what did Jude say in the first verse? More and more mercy. More and more love. More and more peace. God is holy, so he will judge. But he sent his son, Jesus Christ. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. You and I can experience a form of schadenfreude each time we think of Jesus. We can experience a form of schadenfreude with Jesus because we know that we have experienced something good out of the harm of God's son. God sent his son so that you and I could be made right. So you and I could live holy lives. And focus on him. Judgment is not something that Jesus should have ever had to worry about. But he did it willingly because of his deep love for us and for his father. He loved us that much. God is holy. We talked about that a lot last week. So he will judge. He will judge evil. He will judge every one of us. He is sovereign. So nothing can stop his judgment. He is merciful. He saves those that deserve judgment through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He's also wise, so his perfect plan will come about. Many will come to faith. Many will come to salvation. But when we choose idolatry, when we choose to put anything, even ourselves above God, this is how God responds. Let me read with you Exodus 20. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. I want God to lavish his love on me and my future generations. 
I want God to lavish his love upon this church for generations to come. That will only happen when we put no other gods before him. When we elevate him above all things. When our deepest desire is to know him more and more and more and more. More God, more God, more God, more grace, more mercy. But we so quickly take our eyes off of him. Let me close with this illustration. So a young boy went to a gym store with his dad. While he was there, he saw a piece of jade. And he was mesmerized by it. The deep, rich color of the stone impressed him. He had never seen such beauty. He wanted to learn more about jade. So his father found him an old jeweler. The old man agreed to teach him about jade. He was talented. He loved the stone. And at the beginning of the first lesson, the man, Peter put, man put a piece of jade in this young kid's hand. And he told him to close his hand around it. And then the old man started talking about life and girls and politics and sports and everything else. And an hour later as their conversation ended, he took the stone and he put it away and the kid came back next week. Same thing, he got there, he put the stone in his hand, told the kid to hold it for the next hour. All they did was talk about life. And this went on for week after week after week and the kid finally was getting so frustrated with it. And one, but he was too polite, he didn't dare say anything to his teacher. But in his mind, he was scheming, how am I going to get out of this class? I don't want to be here anymore. And then one day, months later, he comes back to class, and the guy puts the stone in his hand, and the kid grips it, and he's like, that's not Jade. That's not Jade. You're fooling me. That kid had spent so much time knowing what this real stone was that when a fake got put in his hand, immediately he recognized it. Pick up your Bibles. Pick them up. Put them in your hand. Jude is all about false teachers and living ungodly lives. Do you know this book and the author of this book so well that you recognize when false things are coming? Do you recognize when sin is elevated in your life? That idolatry is coming a big deal in your life? We need to be so much into this book and studying it and reading it. There's people around the world that do not have the Bible, copy of the Bible. And we have seven, eight, nine, ten of them. But my gut, no, I know as being a pastor for 15 years, many of you are not in this book. How are you ever going to recognize what is false? You need to be holding this and studying it and opening your eyes. The song we've been singing, our theme song for this series. Now on my Savior I fix my eyes. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Judgment is coming. But thank God there's a Savior that we can rejoice in if you have faith in Jesus Christ. Praise team, come on up.